0: Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC Chapter. We've got some great resources
1: in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Metro DC Chapter of the Association of Talent Development. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president elect.
0: Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD.
1: We also have Helena Hodges, vice president of finance and operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing Dr. Shirley Davis. Welcome, Shirley.
2: It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I
1: love how we connected at ICE and now we have you on yes. the podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right. Thanks for having of me here. So now
1: before we jump into our topic of DEI, going broader and deeper for impact, can you share whatever you'd like about your background with our listeners?
2: Sure. My background is actually in all areas of human resources. I've worked in the field for nearly 30 years and actually started out in training and development and worked in OD and then moved into employee relations. I managed recruiting for about 10 years. I moved into um, labor relations as well as then into the Office of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion became a chief diversity and inclusion officer, worked in industries like banking, financial services, retail sales, the utility and energy industry. And then I ended my 30-year career in corporate America, so to speak, uh, about eight years ago at the... um, the world's largest HR association, which is the Society for Human Resource Management. And today I'm running my own global consulting firm as a workforce expert. And we do a lot of work around organizational and cultural transformation, leadership excellence. And we do a lot of training and education. We do quite a bit of coaching and consulting. And then obviously we do uh, quite a bit of um, just helping to identify research and stay ahead of the trends and to identify data that companies can really use to build cultures of inclusion, belonging, and high performance. So that's my professional side. I'm a PhD. My PhD is in business and organizational leadership. Uh, My master's, I have two of those. One is in HR management, the other one is in adult education, and my undergraduate degree is in pre-law. I grew up in North Carolina, but my parents moved to Washington, D.C., so I lived there for about 30 years as well. So I like to say I'm a city slicker and a country girl at the same time. Aww. So I grew up on a farm with my grandparents, but also in the city. And I have worked in 34 countries around the world. So traveled quite a bit. Uh, and about six years ago, I decided that I wanted to move to greener pastures, literally. So I left DC and moved to Tampa Bay right by the ocean. So I live by the beach and I'm a beach bum. I'm an HGTV <laughs> junkie. I'm a movie buff. And um, I am a mom of one daughter who is 27. And I'm happy to say she finally got the religion and decided to join my firm last year. <laughs> Aww. And an author yes. as well. I am an author. I've written five books. My latest two books are the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Dummies book, the first ever. And I'm so thrilled to have been asked by Wiley and Sons, which is the publisher of about 3,000 brands of the Dummies books, but they never had one on DEI, So they asked me because of my extensive background and my role as a chief diversity officer. And then the other one right before that one, within six months, I wrote another bestseller, which was called Living Beyond What If? How do you release the limits and realize your dreams. So they're two, like they're on separate spectrums, right? One is about professional organizational development. The other one is about how do we come to become the best version of ourselves and get out of our own way of asking a bunch of what if questions that limit our destiny. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank (laughs) you.
1: Okay. Let's jump into our topic. So first off, what are some common myths about diversity and inclusion?
2: Oh, gosh, I dealt with so many of them, and I'm still dealing with a lot of them today. As a matter of fact, in the Dummies book, I had the opportunity to actually write quite a bit about them. But I was talking about how important it is to recognize that, first of all, when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, it's not just about race and gender, although that's an important aspect of it, but it really is all the ways that we differ, and every one of us actually is diverse. So diversity is about the talent. And a lot of times leaders think that when we start talking about we need to hire more diverse talent, that means that we have to lower our standards. So that's a myth, is that hiring people is about looking at the fact that talent comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds, you know, and educational levels, all those things. And it's not about now lowering your standards and and thinking that you now have to, um, you know, hire people just because of their race and gender. The other one too, there's just a couple of them, but another one too is that are we really thinking about diversity only as diversity of thought, right? So that's the other, hey, if we, if we have a very homogeneous team, don't we already have diversity of thought. And yes, you do, but it's so important to have visible diversity so that you can show your clients, your customers, and top talent that you want to attract to your organization that you care about that. And with the demographics changing, As seriously as they are over the next five to 10 years, you need to be reflective of the customers you serve, of the communities you do business in, and certainly what the demographics look like today. I'll share one more. One more is, uh, you know, when we do diversity, isn't that about focusing on reverse discrimination? Doesn't that mean that you're closing the door to others who might be in a dominant group and now they don't get to get the job opportunities anymore, that it's now going to go to diversity? Isn't that reverse discrimination? discrimination. And no, I like to think about DEI efforts like a pie, right? It represents the fact that everyone can have a slice of pie and we don't want to look at it from a scarcity mentality, but let's look at it from an abundance mentality. Let's cast our net wider and let's recognize that diversity of talent and thought and and all the other ways that we're different is a value add and makes the companies much more competitive. So those are just a few, but I wrote 10 of them uh, in the book of DEI for Dummies.
3: Nice. Now, Shirley, what are some of the things that underrepresented talent wish leaders in organizations knew? (laughs)
2: Well, let me tell you something. I'm one of those underrepresented uh, talent, but I have the opportunity to talk to so many. I work with organizations and we do a lot of uh, inclusion and engagement surveys. We do focus groups at the staff level. We've done listening sessions. And so we continue to hear a lot of the same things. A couple of things that they wish that their leaders knew or we wish that our leaders knew is that, again, representation equals diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? It's not only about just getting a woman and getting a person of color and then checking a box and saying that you're done. That's one. We also want our leaders to know that we don't want to be tokenized, right? We don't want to be tokenized just because we are the only one. I've been in those situations where I was the only one in the room and they needed to take some uh, pictures and put some stuff out on a marketing campaign. And because I was one of the only senior leaders of color, I used to always get called for the photo ops, right? So, you know, you don't want to be given... Opportunities for that reason. And I remember being put in jobs where the company had settled multi million dollar class action lawsuits, and now they had to look at, you know, diversifying. So then they just started picking people. And I remember being picked for jobs that I wasn't even interested in and wasn't qualified for. I didn't want that job, right? So those are the other things we have to think about. And I think the other piece, too, another one is that we have to make sure that everyone does their own work. So that's one thing I wish my leaders would do more of, is not thinking that DE&I work is about people of color doing all the work, but this is a leadership competition and every one of them should also be getting more educated and more informed about how to work more effectively across differences. I think all of those are important. And just, you know, one more. Don't interpret my silence as consent or agreement. Sometimes people don't speak up in the organization because they don't feel like there's psychological safety or we don't speak up because maybe we had before and we were dismissed or minimized with the value of the ideas that we shared, right? So we have to make sure, too, that we are allowing all people to have equal airtime and share their
0: ideas and not be minimized when we do. I think it is both fascinating and frustrating to hear you talk about some of the challenges. I mean, because in some cases, it feels like it is just such a swing and a miss for organizations, or even worse, they think that they're doing the right thing and they're doing the complete opposite. So... I'd love to yeah, hear yeah. some right. of your thoughts, it, kind of on the, the last idea that you were talking about, some of those conversations. Uh-huh. What makes DEI so difficult for organizations to discuss? I'm curious, from the conversations mm-hmm. you've been part of, where have you seen some of these difficulties really starting to emerge? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. Thank you for asking, because it really is difficult. It's uncomfortable and it's unfamiliar. And the reason for, it's a lot of reasons. So a couple of reasons is because, you know, and I've been in HR 30 years, so I can talk about us, is that we haven't always made it easy and we haven't always given permission for people to talk about what we consider today, these taboo topics, right? Talking about mental illness or mental disabilities, or talking about a person's sexual orientation, or talking about race and gender or age, we always told people don't talk about those kinds of things. And so it's made it difficult because now in the last two and a half years, especially since there's been such a greater call and a cry for focusing more on equity in organizations and being more inclusive, companies haven't known how to do it and leaders are deathly afraid. The other reason I think that they're afraid and what I'm hearing more is that especially leaders who are from the dominant group, um, they tend to be mostly white males, particularly with clients that I'm working for in those industries that are typically and historically Um, white male-dominated or just Mm male-dominated in general. Like, you know, I work with engineering firms and I'm working with tech firms and even some of the healthcare pharmaceutical companies and uh, some of those insurance companies, they're very, very male-dominated and they just haven't had to deal with it. And now they're having to be forced to talk about it. And they're afraid that they may say the wrong thing. You know, these days now things go viral. And so when when something gets said and you are a leader, it can cost you your career and cost you your reputation uh and cost you money, sure. right? So look at what's happening now, even with Sesame Place, just as an example, I'm just saying, right? So when you look at what's happening there, the fact that they put out a statement uh, about Rosita responding or not responding to two little girls who wanted to just be hugged and acknowledged. And they came out with a statement that was very tone deaf and they had to come back out again with another statement. That's the kind of thing that they're afraid of. And it's uncomfortable for them because they don't know how to say certain things because they've never had the experience and they haven't been given the training and the education. And that's what we need to do more of today. So those are some of the reasons that make it so uncomfortable because people, can lose their jobs. People get sued for this and people get blamed and shamed on, uh, on, you know, social media as well. Um, With Sesame Street, what, what happened? Uh Sesame or Place. Sesame if you Place. Google, <laughs> yes, yeah, Sesame Place. If you Google them, it happened in in Pennsylvania, and two little girls um were waiting for the it was a parade and they were walking in Rosita, who's one of their big characters, everyone, every kid loves Rosita, was walking through and high-fiving kids and giving blowing kisses at kids and acknowledging kids. And two little black girls were standing there waiting for Rosita pass right by. And from the video, you can see it. She just kind of shake mm-hmm. her head no, and did not acknowledge Aww. the young girl and they left devastated. And the problem with that is the mother posted that on social media and so many more parents were just livid because they saw it as well. And they started posting videos and several other mothers have said that other Sesame Place characters that they did the same thing to their black children. So it has been a whole media fiasco for Sesame Place. And now they came out with a second statement saying that they're now going to be focusing on more diversity and inclusion training and unconscious biases and and that they've got to do better and that they apologize and so it's been a real real reputational and brand uh da- damage to you know to that organization but that leader whoever that was um you know that made that decision wasn't it was just a it could have been a slight but it was still a microaggression that could be considered biased and discriminatory.
0: That's right. I think what you've shared too about visibility is really important to consider too. Because I think, and I hadn't really considered it from this angle before, but you're right. To do something well, especially in the DEI space, Mm -hmm. you may get recognized for that and you may not. But if you do not get it right, you will absolutely be recognized Mm -hmm. in a way that certainly can cost you or your organization money. It can cost you your job and your reputation. And I think you've really touched on something important there. And as you were sharing that, it Got me thinking of one more question I'd I'd love to ask kind of around this topic. A lot of this really seems like it would stem from within the organization. So, what can we yes. do to build the kinds of supportive environments that would encourage these kinds of productive conversations and, you know, perhaps a more safe or, you know, a, 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 either a safe environment or an environment that encourages you to explore from a place of mm-hmm. curiosity? What would that look like? Sure.
2: Well, first of all, it looks like getting leaders educated and taking them through training and not just awareness building, but skill building, allowing them the space and the place to learn and to be able to grow the skills that are needed for this new generation of talent. No leader is going to be able to get out of the reality that the workforce has changed dramatically demographically. So that's the first thing. The other thing is you have to assess your culture and just know what is the temperature? How are employees feeling? Assess their level of engagement, their level of inclusion and belonging And you got to listen. You got to observe. You got to be more willing to identify where there may be breakdowns. When you assess your organization, sometimes that's also listening to the voice of the employee through employee engagement surveys or DEI surveys and focus groups, listening sessions, all of those will help you as well. But once you know you've got that gap and you get this training and this education, you really have to do a couple of things. You got to revise your policies. You got to ensure that this is integrated into your core values so that it becomes a way that every Every employee is held accountable for living the, the the vision and the mission and the values, but also how we continue to. Um build our organizational culture to a place of inclusion. I want everybody to know that it's everybody's job, not just HR, the diversity officer, or even just the line leader. It's every worker's responsibility to treat people fairly, equitably, to treat people with dignity and respect. Um, Communication. So I think it's important too that we start to communicate more about these topics and we allow people to be able to share when they have experienced these and to learn. Look, I'm a DEI officer and a DEI expert. I am still learning. I'm still on my journey and been doing this for 30 years, but I have put my foot in my mouth (laughs) even recently. I'm still learning, right? We we still have those those gaps and blind spots that we're not aware of. And when we know better, we should do better. But when I get called on things, I acknowledge it, I apologize, and I take action. The three A's, right? Acknowledge it, apologize, and take action. So those are some of the, the small things that we can do every day. What are some
1: things uh, at the individual level that we can do? Let's say maybe we're not part of an organization or maybe Mm -hmm. our organization isn't as up to speed as it should be. But as an individual, what can we do to educate ourselves a little more on this?
2: Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of things we can do. First, it's just opening ourselves up to learning. There's so many resources, books, movies, podcasts, everybody's talking about this. So this is not the day and age to say I can't find any resources. (laughs) Um, You know, I have a number of courses, even on LinkedIn Learning, specifically talking about inclusion and, and leadership and how important, you know, it is to build a diverse network. The other thing, too, is to look around your inner circle. Who do you continuously hang around? Is your circle diverse? I think it's important, too, that you broaden your network so that that broadens your perspective. So don't just constantly listen to and hang around the same people who look like you, think like you, act like you, because you're not going to necessarily grow. So I think that's another part of it. But I think the other piece of it is we have to listen to understand, not to respond. Right. That what we call one of the seven habits of highly affected people. Let's just listen to people. Let's recognize that people come to, um, to every issue with a different lens. They grew up differently. They were socialized differently. They see the world in a very different way. And I think that's a benefit. I think that's a, an asset. It's an opportunity for us to grow. So listen to understand. The other thing, too, is I love this. Make sure, and I do this a lot, is I recognize that when I come in contact with anybody, that they have something that I could give them or there is a gift that they can give to me, whether it's a word of encouragement, a resource, a story that encourages me or whatever that might be. But I also believe that I have something in common with every single person I connect with. And I have to come to it with a mindset of inclusion and a mindset to say, I'm not here to debate and to try to get you to see the world the way I do, but I'm here to listen. But I also recognize that I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to agree with what you say what you believe, you know, how you do it, but I do, I should accept, right? Acceptance doesn't always, doesn't mean agreement. I accept you as an individual, as a unique person, as a special gift to the world, but I don't have to accept everything that you believe. That's a difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a big difference.
2: Yeah. I'll say one more. I love this one. Instead of practicing just the golden rule, let's practice the Mm. platinum rule. The golden rule is we treat people the way we want to be treated. But the gold, I mean, the platinum rule is we treat people the way they want to be treated. And we that means that we have to be vulnerable enough and humble enough to recognize people may not be Want, wanting to be treated the same way I do. It's different. They may have different cultures, different faiths, different beliefs, different value systems. And we have to meet people where they are and treat them the way they
0: want to be treated. Yeah, it's that real call to open communication and getting to know people and really yeah. listening to what they are asking for and that's what right. they need. There's one yeah, other A right. word I'd actually like to ask you about. And it kind of is yeah. from what Chris was asking about some of those individual ways that you might be Able to connect in. A lot of the organizations that I work for and work with talk about the role mm-hmm. of advocacy in DEI efforts. And yes. I would love to hear your take yes. on what that looks like in the workplace.
2: Oh, yeah. I love, love, love that. Look, here it is. An advocacy and allies, a little bit different, right? But an advocate is one who will champion the cause. They'll step up, speak up and stand up for what's right and also for what's equitable and also what's inclusive. Uh, an advocate is one who may be a person of influence. They may even be from the dominant group and they're ones that can influence and impact outcomes, um, strategies, the ways that things are being changed and the ways that people are being treated. An advocate is one who might um, really be able to speak on my behalf, even when I'm not in the room. An advocate could also be like a sponsor. An advocate is one who will also listen, yes, but they will also want to learn more about you so that they can be you know they can be that voice to help to get you opportunities to open new doors that you might not be able to open an advocate is one who will show up they'll be visible and they're not af- they've got courage they're not afraid to call something out but they're not afraid either to um, to say yes that was that was what I was here for. That was wrong. And and here's what I heard. And hey, you know what? Dr. Davis just said this and you guys overlooked that. But, you know, let's listen. Let's let's probe a little bit more. That's what advocates do.
0: It would be wonderful for the workplace to have more of them. I mean, it is. I it is know, just right? so inspiring to hear you talk <laughs> about that. I've got one more question for you. So we've had this fantastic, very broad conversation about DEI. Mm -hmm. And with so many of our listeners coming from that talent development space, I'm curious, as talent development professionals, is there anything either very broadly or very specifically that we might be able to do or to consider when we think about cultivating DEI within our own organizational cultures?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously, as as I talked about the learning and Mm -hmm. the education, look, it wouldn't be a bad idea to be intentional about getting a mentor or getting a peer coach, a peer coach of someone who's different from you. A peer coach is someone and a trusted advisor who can help you bounce ideas off of it, right? Who can be your sounding board. If you know that you've got some blind spots and you're aware of those blind spots, they can help you talk through that and solve for some of that. So for example, I got some of my best learning from white older men who were my mentors. And at the same time, it was reciprocal mentoring because they started to learn more about what I was experiencing as a woman, as a person of color, as a single mom, as a woman of faith, and all of my other aspects of my identity. And that helped them to see things differently. They saw me differently. So I think that's an, an important, you know, an important piece of it as well. Uh, and then I think too that you know go to some of the learning events that are out there. Take a course in in on LinkedIn learning or some of the other on Online courses that are out there. I mean, I do this a lot. I have a DEI certificate of mastery. There's so many resources out there. I would say to look at some of those. There's even some great movies that are out that you could learn about diversity. Like I love, and I'm on Netflix and Hulu and, and Prime videos and all of those. I love this show called New Amsterdam. And they did a really good job of tackling a lot of issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion in a great, great show with wonderful acting. But they did a great job of addressing some of those. I think those are other ways that we can do it. but look there's so much cultural um, you know in our in our own environments in our own communities. go to some plays, go to some of the museums, go to some of the festivals and parades and and learn more about some of those things. Be intentional about learning more about inclusion.
3: This has been so informative, Dr. Davis. Thank you so much. And Thank you. Um, we can go on forever. I know I can, but we have reached the end <laughs> of our episode. And we oh my love, gosh.
2: Wow, that was so quick. Yes,
3: <laughs> we love asking our guests rapid fire style questions. And each question
2: ah, okay. requires
3: less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready?
2: I'm ready. Okay.
3: <laughs> okay. Here's the first one. Give us one book that everyone must read and why.
2: I would love 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 people to read my books that I talked about, but I also think that a really good it's a it, and it's a long term, it'll have long shelf life. And it's by John Maxwell on leadership. John Maxwell just talks a lot about leadership. And I believe all of us should read it simply because all of us have, uh, have an opportunity to be a leader and to lead from any seat at any level in the organization. And I think we have an opportunity to grow our leadership skills in a much more effective way. That would be one beyond my two. Nice.
3: Okay. <laughs> what is one tool that you can't live without?
2: my voice <laughs> My my voice is my tool to help the world understand this important topic and talking about it and coaching about it and training about it, I think it's very important. And so I believe that my voice really carries a lot of influence and impact and it's helping so many people's lives change and it's helping people to see and get a larger vision for themselves. So I appreciate having my voice to speak my truth.
3: Yes, I love it. Did not expect this response, but thank you. Now- Now, (laughs) on to the last one. What is the best piece of advice you have ever been given?
2: Uh, One of my mentors, and he's been my mentor for about 21 years, and he is the master motivator, been a motivational speaker for over 40 years, and that's the Les Brown. One of the things that he helped me a lot that changed my life was he said, you need to jump and grow your wings on the way down. He said, you are gifted, you're talented, you're educated, you're intelligent, you're skilled, and yet you got to get out of your own way and jump. He said, you'll be okay. You'll figure it out, but you've done so much. Don't play small and in, uh, in such a big world that you could be. So he said, jump and grow your wings on the way down. And I did that, took some risk, calculated risk, and I've never been the same since.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much, truly for sharing your wisdom with us today.
2: Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Aww. And a thank you to my co-hosts
3: as well. Yeah, thank you. And I love your pain, Dr. Davis.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope your guests will all stay connected with me on social media. I'm everywhere on LinkedIn and Twitter and all of those. And certainly visit me at my website at drshirlydavis.com.
0: Yeah, we certainly will. We are very grateful that you have shared your best tool, your voice with us today. So many <laughs> yes. inspiring ideas. I am excited to start using some of them myself. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. Have a great rest of the day. And of course, we want to
0: send many
1: thanks to our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you need consultant services? The Metro DC chapter of ATD has many talented members. Go to dcatd.org and check out our consultants directory under the resources menu
0: option. Want to network with other chapter members? Join the Metro DC chapter of ATD members on LinkedIn today.